You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Well, good afternoon, everyone. And uh, great to be with you. I'm going to be continuing our series on uh, growing. Last weekend, I was in uh, Germany. And uh, it was Pentecost weekend. You're aware of that? Last weekend was Pentecost weekend. Now, in Germany, at Pentecost, they have a national holiday. Yeah, we have a national holiday for banks, but Germany has a national holiday for significant Christian events. And uh, last weekend was Pentecost. And uh, a few weeks before that, I was at a conference in uh, Poland with about 800 uh, church network leaders. And uh, <clears throat> it was a conference of leaders who were very, very convinced about the Word of God, very, very convinced about the mission of God, love the Church of God, but are quite uh, circumspect about the power of God. And uh, beautiful people really loved spending time with them. It was a little bit like watching the uh, terracotta army at worship, you know, during the worship times, you know. But um, <clears throat> they, you know, really beautiful Bible-believing people, Christ-centered, zealous for mission. And, um, but a number of these leaders would come and speak to myself and to Mike and others that were on the team there and say, we really need the power of God. We so need the power of God for the mission of God in Europe. And uh, again and again, uh, we heard them uh, reporting this to us. But their concern wasn't a biblical, it wasn't that they were not convinced biblically that it was something that they should expect, that the power of God would uh, fill the church and thrust them out in mission. But they had been so burnt by bad experience and bad models that they thought, well, rather than risk being involved in something that has gone badly wrong, we'd rather not have it at all. And we spent the week saying, look, no, the response to misuse is not no use, it's proper use. You know, that we would learn what it means to grow as people of spirit and truth. To grow in the power of God and in the truth of God. Not to separate those two things out. And that actually all the answers for what it means to be people of power are in the Bible. All the safeguards, how to maturely function as individuals and as a community... In the power of God, everything we need to know is in here. It's almost like they've ripped out a few chapters from 1 Corinthians. You're thinking, you love the Bible. It's all in here. And so I just felt an urgency, really, from uh, you know, reflecting on Pentecost last week and being invited to speak today about what it means to be growing as a church community. I was saying, folks, I want us to grow in spirit and in truth, in word and in power, as we bring glory to Jesus Christ, as the family of God on a mission together, for the sake of not just our own town and our own nation, but for the nations. Because what we experience here as sort of a regular routine for us, that we come together, we have the freedom to worship in the presence of God together, to live a spirit-empowered life. Um, There are many, many people that don't enjoy that freedom. They don't. And as you go across the continent of Europe particularly, uh, it's absent. And so we have, we've got a, I feel we've got a job to do here. Not that we're the only ones. There are plenty of other mature churches around doing better than us in many respects. But 
we have a part to play in modeling what mature best practice looks like as a Word and Spirit church. Yeah, I want us to be a church that excels in fearlessly expounding the Word of God and putting it into practice every day. You know, it's not just like a useful little guide. No, we feed on this. It's, it's honey on our lips. It's a lamp to our feet. You know, the truest things you will ever know about yourself are written in here. There is nothing you will discover about yourself more true than what is written in here. So we need to be reading it intensively and extensively. And so we want to be a church that is shaped, governed by the Word of God. It's our final authority in matters of faith and practice. But we want to be a church that is saturated with the power of God. That every one of us here knows what it means to encounter God by his power. And live in the daily communion of his sweet presence. The presence of a father. We do not have an absent father. We do not have to live with an ache in our hearts thinking, where is my father? Yeah? Our father has come to us. And he dwells in us. And so I want us to grow in this. I just want us to learn what that means. You know, so Jesus in Matthew 22, he is being um, goaded by the Sadducees. They were sort of giving a bit of a hard time. They say, let's set him up with a bit of a test. You know, well, what if a bloke marries a woman and then he dies, and then another bloke marries the same woman and he dies, and another bloke marries the same woman? I think, what? Have you got better things to do in your time? But anyway, you know, they came up with this story. You've got seven husbands, they've all died. So when she gets to heaven, whose husband, uh, you know, who will be her husband there? Ha ha, Jesus, we got you there, haven't we? You know? And he, he basically knocked them out of the park, as you would expect. But he says this in Matthew 22 29. He says, You are in error because you do not know the scriptures. Or the power of God. Okay? It's an error to have one or the other. You need both. You need the power of God and you need the scriptures. And you're in error if you don't have that, Jesus says. So we need truth and we need power. One leads to the other. If people are sincerely reading the word of God with an open heart, not bringing all sorts of prejudices and presuppositions and bad experience, but actually reading it with an open heart, it is inevitable that you'll be led to the conviction that we need the power of God. It's inevitable. And if you've been baptised in the Holy Spirit and have never read the Bible, you will get such an appetite to read the Word of God. It's inevitable. One will lead to the other. And we need both, and we need to grow in both. We want to be rich in the Word and rich in the Spirit. Uh, We're going to be looking at Acts 2 in just a moment, but just uh, jumping ahead a little bit in that chapter, Peter, you know, when the power of God had been poured out and he was explaining what response there should be from people in response to the outpouring of the power of God, uh, the uh, the, um, outpouring of power of God at Pentecost, people said, what should we do? And he said, repent, be baptized, every one of you. So in other words, turn away from living your own life. Ask God to forgive you and then choose to live a life obedient to God. That's what repentance means. Turn around, follow God. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So once we have repented 
and given our trust to Jesus, we then, in obedience to his command, we are baptized in water. So if you're a believer here and you haven't been baptized in water as someone who's made their own confession, well, I encourage you to do that. But he says, then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the gift given to us upon reaching out to Jesus for salvation. That's what we get. We get the Holy Spirit. It's a good gift. <laughs> you know, we're, we're celebrating us earthly fathers here. And uh, Jesus says, even though you're evil, well, thanks, Jesus. You know, so even you know how to give chocolates to your kids. You know? Even you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father in heaven give a good gift to you? Don't be suspicious or circumspect. I mean, I, I, I'm feeling a little bit militant. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to behave, all right? I want to have the deepest and greatest respect for my brothers and sisters who believe that the word of God is sufficient, but the power of God was just for those days and not for today. I want to respect and collaborate and do respect their position and collaborate and work together with a whole heart and in good friendship and good fellowship. But they are sincerely wrong. They are sincerely wrong. And in, the, in between the two meetings today, someone came to me and said, oh, our daughter is at this church in London where they're being taught that it's wrong to expect the Holy Spirit for today. And I'm just thinking, I'm getting sick of this. <laughs> Behave, Morris. Come on. I'm getting sick of it. Come on. You will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Which part of that sentence don't you understand? It's in the word of God. Okay. Right. Jesus was anointed with the power of the Spirit at his baptism. The church was anointed with the power of the Spirit at Pentecost. We long to minister under the anointing of the presence and power of God by his Spirit, both individually and as a church. Amen? Right. Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit. Open your Bibles at Acts 2. I took too long last time, so I've got to try and accelerate here. But when I'm wound up, I tend to take longer, so I need to slow down. Come on, Morris. Behave. So, chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them, rested on each one of them. I was uh, remembering, uh, I was chatting with Matt Cornish uh, this morning about the first time I visited this building. It must have been, I can't remember now, 12 or 15 years ago. And my kids were quite young, and we were walking up that staircase with the big glass windows. And at that moment, a car pulled up at the junction and exploded into flames. <laughs> and my kids thought this was the most exciting church ever, you know. And I'm thinking, well, here we go. The church is exploding in flames here in Pentecost. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. There were people from all over the place, and they're saying, well, how is this? This is amazing that they, we can hear all of this in our own native language. And it just goes on listing all these places I can't pronounce. And then it goes on, you know, um, that um, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And yet some people said, hey, they're drunk. You know, they mocked them, said they're drunk. I love the fact, I love it, that God is happy to associate the CD of the New Covenant by the pouring out of the Holy Spirit with behavior that could be misinterpreted as drunkenness. I love it. <laughs> so... 
Now, I preached on uh, this particular point some time ago, so I'm not going to take it personally if you don't remember the answer to this next question. What does the word Pentecost mean? The word itself means the 50th day. The 50th day. This was important for the Jews because they calculated that between the Exodus, when the people of God had been in slavery in Egypt and there'd been all the plagues, and then God said, right, I'm going to get you out of Egypt. And he gave the instruction through Moses that the people of God should get ready because there's going to be a, uh, a culling of the firstborn. But in order that they would escape that, they would sacrifice and eat uh, a, a blemish-free lamb. They would take the blood of the lamb and daub it on their gate, uh, their doorways, on the lintel of the door and on the doorposts. So that when the angel of death came, they would see the blood of the lamb and would pass over. So the angel of death passes over. There's a tragedy among the Egyptians and so on, as all of their, of their firstborn are taken by the angel of death. But at that point, the people of Israel are delivered. They're delivered out from slavery. And off they go. And the Jews calculate that seven weeks later... Moses was up Mount Sinai and he is receiving the law. He's receiving the Ten Commandments and the law. And he comes down from the mountain with the tablets to find that the people of God have decided that they're a bit bored waiting for Moses and have decided that they would make themselves a golden calf to worship instead. And then um, when Moses saw this, he took the calf and he he burned it and ground it up, made them drink it. Okay, as I was commenting before, you should be grateful that we don't have the same pastoral practices today. You know, let's take your Xbox, let's grind it up. You got to drink it. You know, and and, um, uh, at that point, God then judges the people of Israel and three thousand are killed by their own people, by the Levites. The Levites go out, stab 3,000 men, kill them for rebelling against God. And that was after seven weeks. And the next day, on the 50th day, the Jews do what the Jews do best. They have a party. Okay? And they've done that every year, ever since. Every year, among the Jewish people, they will have the, the feast of the Passover, and they will celebrate this seven-week period between the, exodus, the Passover, the Exodus, and the giving of the law. This party is called the Festival of Weeks in Deuteronomy, seven weeks, or the Festival of Reaping, it's called, in uh, Exodus, or the Festival of the Day of the First Fruits, it's called, in Numbers. But you can read about that. So the Passover in Exodus 12, the giving of the law in Exodus 32. Now, if you're following the plot here, you'll start to see some dots that you can start to join up here now. Okay? Because it was at Pentecost that the Spirit was given. Seven weeks before Pentecost, what had happened? Jesus had been crucified. The Last Supper was part of the preparation for the Passover. You can read it there. And so during the Passover, when they're celebrating that through the blood of a innocent lamb, they, the angel of death will pass over them and they can be delivered from slavery. Our Passover lamb 
was sacrificed. Jesus Christ lifted up on a cross. By his blood, we are delivered from slavery. We are delivered from the slavery of death and sin and guilt. Because of anything we've done? No, because of the blood of the Lamb over our lives. Through the blood, we are saved. Jesus is our Passover Lamb. Seven weeks later, just as the old covenant was sealed by the giving of the law, after the exodus, deliverance, the old covenant marked by the giving of the law. Seven weeks later, at Pentecost, the Spirit is given to seal the new covenant. This is beautiful. My, my wife is very, very good at remembering things. She can tell you what she was wearing you know, on our first date and uh, what I was wearing when you know, I fell off the stage. Once or I don't know. She can remember everything. But I don't remember these things so well. I think it's, uh, it's, a, it's a man thing. <laughs> Not so good at this. God knows. He's trying to make sure that we can remember. He can remember. And he's saying, look, hey, under the old covenant, uh, people of Egypt were delivered from their slavery by the blood of a lamb. And seven weeks later, the law was given. And then there was judgment and 3,000 people died. Under the new covenant, we have our one perfect sacrifice for all, for all time. Jesus, our Passover lamb, through whose blood we can know deliverance. And seven weeks later, the Holy Spirit was given and 3,000 people were saved. Yeah? I know which covenant I'm enjoying being under here. Okay? <laughs> All right? And so Pentecost is the giving of the Spirit that seals the new covenant. And we know that 3,000 were saved. This is a festival of reaping. What a harvest. It's the birthday of the church, the festival of the first fruits. Let's put these together. In our thinking, for the Jews, Pentecost refers to the giving of the law, which Jeremiah tells us they would never keep and neither could we. And for the Christians, Pentecost refers to the giving of the Spirit, which announces a completely new arrangement that we have with God when we are born again. We are no longer old creations trying our hardest to please God. We are new creations under a new covenant, enlivened and empowered by the Spirit of God Himself. Yeah, we're no longer, we're not the Romans 7 man. I get sick of it when people say, Oh, I feel like Paul in Romans 7. He wants to do what he can't do, and he can't do what he should do, and what a wretch he is. I think he wasn't talking about himself, he was talking about somebody who's not understood the gospel. He was talking about somebody who's still trying to please God with the law. You can't do it. Don't do it. We are Romans 8 people. We are not Romans 7 people. Thanks be to God. There is no condemnation for those who are under Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't a schizophrenic. All right? In Romans 7, he was saying, this is what it will be for you if you try to please your new husband, Jesus, by trying to please your old husband, law. But you have died to the law, and you have been raised together with Christ, and he is a life-giving husband. Who gives is the beautiful one. And God has empowered us by his spirit. Can you imagine that day? You know, Jesus has ascended, and there's God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. They say, Hey, Jesus, good to have you back, you know. And they're sitting there waiting. And Jesus said, Well, I told them that you were going, Holy Spirit. I said I was going to send you. Uh, but I told them that to wait a little bit, you know. And so imagine the Trinity all sit there saying, Shall we, shall we send him now? No, no, hold on, let's wait a bit. 
Just wait a bit. Should we send the spirit? No, let's just wait. Right, now, go. Holy Spirit's like letting my dog off the leash. Go. You know, the Holy Spirit, bosh, falls on the church at Pentecost. It must be such fun to be God. I loved it. Well, I don't want to be God, but, uh, you know, well, it's fun. Right, let's go, Holy Spirit. Whoosh. And he fills and floods the church. And here we are now. Romans 8, born-again Christians, under new ownership, no longer slaves to sin and death, but slaves to God and eternal life. A slave has to go where his master takes him. And you were once a slave to sin and death. You had no choice. You had to go. But now, because of our Passover lamb, we are now slaves to righteousness. And we have to go where righteousness leads us. And that's to eternal life with God through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's a new arrangement. You're born again. You're a new creature. So why did God send his spirit? Why did God send his spirit? Well, let's just jump ahead to uh, uh, later on in Acts 2. I mean, this is for any, anybody that aspires to be a church that is modelled on the principles of the New Testament. These verses are blueprint verses. So you go to um, uh, the end of Acts chapter 2 and uh, verse 42. Now, why this is important is because under the old covenant, there were certain marks that marked out the people of God. How do you know we were the people of God? How do we know we were the people of God? Well, they had, there were certain markers that marked them out. They had the law. They had temple worship. They had circumcision. And these were the marks of people who were identified as the people of God. Well, Jesus, through his death and resurrection, it's not that he's sort of swept it away, but he's fulfilled all of this. And now we're the temple of God. And the dwelling of God is with his people. We're the living stones of the new temple. And people don't go to a place made by the hands of man to worship now. God dwells with us as his living temple. And the law is fulfilled. It's not done away with, but Jesus has fulfilled the law. It was impossible for anybody to live according to the law. It was just too high a standard for anybody. But Jesus has perfectly fulfilled the law, and we get in on his coattails. We say, well, we're with Jesus, and he's fulfilled it. And God says, well, because you trust my son, I accept you as I accept my son as having fulfilled all the requirements, righteous requirements of the law, even though it's impossible for you to do so. And so Jesus has fulfilled the law. And, you know, the Bible you know, talks about the fact that we've had a circumcision of the heart, that, uh, you know, that these sort of external markers are no longer what sets the people of God apart. But more than anything, and Moses understood this, if you know your story in Exodus, it's the presence of God that sets apart the people of God. And we see some of the other marks of what it means to be a new covenant community here in, at the end of Acts 2, where it says, you know, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together, had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God 
having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is our blueprint. We aspire to this. We may not be doing so well in every respect, but this is our aspiration. This is a word-shaped people. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, which is handed down to us in the New Testament. They were devoted to the presence of God, wonders, signs and wonders done among them. It's a beautiful picture of the community of the family of God and the sense of the fact that they were on the mission of God, people being saved every day. It's a beautiful template for us. And this is the new covenant community that has been created by the Spirit. No longer these other markers would define the people of God, of, of the law and temple observance and circumcision. Now these were the new marks of the new community of God, sealed by his Holy Spirit, redeemed by Jesus, the beloved of God. And so I just want to talk very briefly about three things, that uh, reasons why the God gave his Holy Spirit. Um, but before I do that, I just want to make a couple of observations about... What we're like as people. <laughs> I think of the most uh, polite way of saying this. You know, we are we're of a culture. Uh, if you have spent any time in England, okay. So some of you are born here. Some of you have moved here. Um, you will have observed that we are of a culture that is not always particularly demonstrative. Have you ever noticed that? Has that ever occurred to you? Yeah. I'm experiencing the joy of the Lord. <laughs> Deep joy. We're not the most demonstrative of cultures. There's a reason for that. And the reason is because we have decided that the intellect is the most reliable way of determining what is right and wrong. And I heard someone say once, and I found this really quite helpful, that actually we have three brains. Did you know that? Cows have four stomachs, we have three brains. Okay? We have our, our intellect. So all of these brains we use for determining what is right and wrong, what is good and bad, what is true and false. So we have our, our intellect. So what do we think? We think about it. You know, what's right and what's wrong? We have our emotions, our emotional heart. That's another brain. You know, what do we feel? Do I feel this is the right thing? Go with your heart. Yeah? I saw a little uh, sort of quip the other day. Oh, no, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. But, you know, and then uh, we also have our intuition or our gut feelings. The Bible says, you know, the, you read the psalmist, he says, at night, my kidneys instruct me. Uh, did you know that? You know, your kidneys are instructing you. In your... But it's talking about your gut feelings, your intuition, you know. And different cultures around the world give different measures of authority to different brains. And if you observe this, you'll find there's quite some uh, credence to this. Uh, so, you know, certainly Eastern mystic cultures, they put a lot of authority on their intuition. You know, you have to sort of consider your inner feelings, you know, go, and, and you sort of, you, you're sort of looking at what your intuition is telling you, and then you, you go with that, you know. Um, South and East, sort of the more warmer-blooded uh, 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 cultures in Europe, it's all heart. You go with your heart. What does your heart tell you? And uh, I, was, um, I was dealing with a church discipline matter in a Balkan country recently. 
and, uh, and I'm, I'm sort of Western, we've got to think about this. And they say, well, oh, no, we are going to discipline this man on the authority of our feelings. You know, oh, okay, that's different to me. I'm from the West, and we don't give any authority to our feelings whatsoever. It's all about our brain. Have you thought about this yet? Have you thought about this? Tom, Tom have you thought about that yet? Yeah, yeah. feelings? No, no, no. Gut feeling? No. Think about it. Think. Come on, got to think about this. Because we've decided that the intellectual brain is the best. Well, it's not. All of them are fallible. Our, our intellectual brain is fallible. Our emotional brain is fallible. And our intuitive brain is fallible. And that is why God, in his gracious wisdom, has given us this. <laughs> okay? That's why we have a Bible. You know, so think of Jesus. Just been baptized. Just been filled with the Spirit taken into the desert, 40 days without food. He was tired, it says. Well, you should see me after a day without food, all right, okay? Well, he was 40 days, and then he gets the personal attention of the devil, who is misquoting the Bible at him. Jesus does not rely on his intellect or his emotions or his intuition. He gives them no authority. He says, what? It is written. It is written. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get into the Word of God. We've got to, because how else will we know what is right and wrong? Don't trust your Noah. Well, I know it in my Noah. No! Trust the Word of God. Don't trust your emotions. All right? The heart can be deceitful. Don't trust your intellect. We need to learn to take every thought captive, Paul says. Yeah? Trust the Word of God. But the reason I'm saying that, and the reason I'm going into that in a little detail, is that our emotions are a gift to us, and our bodies are a gift to us. And one of the things that people from an intellectual culture like mine seems to struggle with is the fact that actually to encounter God by his spirit, there's going to be a response, all right? There's going to be a response. If you encounter power, there is a response, Anyone who's put their finger in a plug socket will know what I mean. Don't do this at home. Or been kicked by a horse. (laughs) When you encounter power, you know. All right? Okay? And so to say that we've encountered the power and elicit no response in us, I wonder if you've ever connected with the power of God. Because the spirit operates through our emotions and through our bodies. Yeah? It enlivens our thinking. Everything that we are is enlivened by the Spirit of God. And so we can expect our bodies will be moved by the power of God. We can, above all else, expect our emotions will be moved by the Spirit of God. How else can we know that we're in a relationship? This is, Christianity is not a philosophy. Yeah, you know, I believe with my head. Someone gave me this verse at half time, Romans 10. You all know this verse, but it's so important. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, (laughs) it's a relationship. All right. And anybody here who has a relationship that does not invoke your emotions, you have not engaged with the human experience. You are subhuman. The human experience is that any relationship invokes our emotions. And also invokes our bodies. You know, a parent-child relationship. You know, 
I love you, son. I mean, a a healthy parent-child relationship is tactile, affirming, reassuring. The child feels assured by the love of the father or the mother. Yeah? Husband and wife. You imagine a husband and wife relationship without emotion, without operating through our emotions or our bodies. I love you with all my head, darling. Yes. I love you too. Good night. Good night. Ridiculous. (laughs) I love you with all my heart. And with all my body. I love you. You know, authentic relationships will invoke your bodies and your emotions. But because we are English, we are terrified of that. No! I want to be in control. Don't. No! So I'm, just, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm expecting you will now start leaping around like dervishes. I'm just saying, let your body know that God loves you and let your emotions know. It is so helpful. I mean, I can't, there are songs I can't sing. I can't get the words out because I get choked up because I'm so relieved. I'm so relieved. I ran out of that grave. I ran out of that grave. God, I'm, I, you know, anyway. I just wanted to say that. and I, It's a massive diversion, but because I get... I get sick of my own culture and the fact that we're so emotionally constipated and so physically self-conscious. So when I got saved, I was saved at 18 and I was emotionally constipated and I was so self-conscious. It took me a long while for that to start to unwind. And two things really helped. Number one, I got baptised in the spirit when I was being baptised in water by the Bishop of Tunbridge Wells. And I was so overwhelmed by the love liquid love and power of God that I fell into the arms of the Bishop of Tunbridge Wells and he had to carry me back to my seat. And I said to him afterwards, what was all that about? He said, I think you just got a bit emotional. I thought, I don't think that was it. <laughs> I, it was more, I, I know what it feels to be a bit emotional and I also know that that was not, that was something was happening. I was being filled with the love of God and I was overwhelmed so much that the, the strength left my body. And then the, so that dealt with my emotional constipation. And then the second thing, in terms of my uh, uh, chronic self-consciousness, I signed up to help with the kids' work. I thought, I need to learn to look at life through the eyes of a child. Because they don't seem to worry about all that sort of stuff. And I, I need to learn to dance with the kids and just not be childish, but look at life through the eyes of a child. So if you are emotionally constipated and chronically self-conscious, join the kids' work. Working with children was the single most helpful thing for me, learning what it means to be a minister of the gospel. And I worked on a children's mission for 10 years on the Norfolk coast with Scripps Union, and every summer we'd give up our summer holidays. I was working with the Air Force at the time, and Rachel and I would give up our summer holidays to spend two weeks on the beaches preaching the gospel to uh, children and families of Norfolk. And it was the most precious time and it, it, in every way, established me to be a minister of the gospel. Because if you can't explain it to kids, you're not qualified to explain it to anybody. Okay? So, three things. Number one, that why did God give his spirit? Our identity in God. Romans 8. I'm going to go through these, rattle through these quickly, and then we're going to pray together. Romans 8. Uh, should come up behind me, hopefully. You'll read this in Galatians 4 as well. It says, you know, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
You didn't receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. You've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God. Fellow heirs with Christ. We haven't done anything. He did it all, but we're fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Be prepared to suffer. Not everybody preaches that gospel. The spirit has come that it would resonate with your own spirit and secure your identity as a child of God. If you don't know God today, I, I, I say to you, please open your heart to God. Open your heart to our Passover lamb. Open your heart to Jesus who died to take the consequences of your rebellious behavior. Turn back to God and he will give you his Holy Spirit as a free gift. And his Holy Spirit in you will resonate with your spirit and say, you're mine. You belong to me. You're my child. Do you feel like an orphan in your spirit? I'm speaking to people who believe now. Do you feel like an orphan? you feel, I've never known what it's like to be loved by a father or a mother? Receive the Spirit of God. The Spirit of adoption that obliterates the Spirit of the orphan in us. And for the rest of our lives, we know we belong to him. I'm a child of God. It's the only right that we're given in the Bible is to be called a child of God. Our security in God. I love these. These two passages are so dear to me. I found them so helpful in my own Christian walk. So to know that God's spirit in me isn't uh, just me being a bit emotional. It's not me going, oh, you know, I'm feeling a bit emotional today. Isn't it nice? You know, No, it's a witness of the spirit that God is real and that I belong to him. It's massive. It is setting revelation on fire. It is actualizing revelation and theology into my experience. It's not just something I intellectually know. It's something I now encounter and experience. I'm so grateful to God for that. I spent quite a number of years as a Christian trying to tough it out just on willpower. And then the Spirit of God came and says, you belong to me. Thank you. Job done. (laughs) I'm all right. I don't have to worry about anything. I can be a rubbish theologian, but God loves me, and I can go with him. So anyway, Ephesians 1, 11. In him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So it's all quite dense theologically. But it says, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, revelation, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him in your heart, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit seals something in us. The Holy Spirit guarantees something. It's God's down payment. He's saying, you belong to me and I'm going to come back for you. And it dispels all fear. And it dispels all insecurity that we, by the Spirit of God, encounter the presence of God and it's settled. It's done. I belong to him. I'm going home to glory with him. This is why God gave his Spirit. And then thirdly, our activity in God. These 
guys at Pentecost didn't have a, a meeting of the evangelical department to determine what they were going to do when they got filled with the Spirit. You know? Okay, so we'll meet on Thursday week and we'll have a little discussion. Now we've been filled with the power of God, what should we do? Well, why don't you go out and speak in lots of languages that you've never, ever learnt while you guys go out and fall over looking like you're drunk? Great mission strategy. Here we go. I don't think there's never a meeting about this. The power of God fell on them. And Paul says, I was compelled to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit compels me. The power of God compels us. We can't help it. We don't need a meeting <laughs> to decide, shall we do this? If you are flooded with the power of God, I won't be able to stop you witnessing about the gospel. I won't, I won't, I won't be able to stop you. You, know? you won't be able to help it or just well up and bubble over. Oh, you never guess what Jesus has done for me. Can I tell you about Jesus? The best thing that ever happened to me when I met Jesus. I need to tell you. It will bubble up and bubble over. And so I tend to find the people that are most... Um, restricted in their freedom to share the gospel are the ones that, you know, you can shoot me down on this, but this is my observation, are the most limited in their experience of the power of God. Because if you are lavish in your experience of the power of God, you will not be able to stop yourself. Can't help it. Bloop, can't help it. Gospel's come out. Whoop. So let's go on being filled with the power of God. Amen? Let's just spend our last few minutes just asking God to fill us afresh. If you've never, ever known the power of God, ask him now. God is not an evil dad. He's a good dad. And he's not going to give you a, a stone or a snake. He's going to give you what you ask for. You say, Lord God, I need to know your indwelling, empowering presence that seals my identity, resonates with my spirit, by which I say, Abba, Father, and it is at a deposit that secures me, nails me once and for all. Never will I doubt your love for me and that you will take me with you to be with you for all eternity. And it wells up within me and it compels me to share about Jesus with others. I cannot help myself. I cannot help myself. Let's just open our hands to God now and just say, come and fill us, God. Fill us now, please, Lord Jesus. We need you. How can we ever pretend we can do this on our own? How can we ever say that I can just figure this out with willpower? No, God, you said you promised you'd give us your Holy Spirit as a gift and so we turn to you again in our hearts and say, Lord, as you have promised, pour your power into my heart right now. Pour your fatherly affirmation into my heart right now. Let liquid love pour through my veins. Let my thoughts be overwhelmed by a love that surpasses knowledge. A love that goes beyond what we know but you will fill us and flood us with your glory and with your power and with your affirmation and with your assurance and with your delight and with your joy. We heard earlier in Jude where it says that he is able to present us to himself with great joy. It's his joy. It's his joy to deliver us to himself and he fills us 
and floods us with his love and with his mercy. All oh, that you would know the sweet mercy of Jesus in your heart today. Let him fill you again. Let him blow away your fears. What is there to fear? He's with us. If he's with us, who can be against us? Experience that. Don't just think about it. Know that God is with you in your heart. Believe in your heart. Let your heart be overwhelmed by love and joy and relief and wonderment. What a wonderful God we serve. What a wonderful gospel. What a wonderful thing to be able to say that we're the children of God and that God is going to come back for us. We say, fill us up, Lord Jesus, by your power. Thrust us out for the gospel. Oh God, we don't want to be timid, frustrated with our own uh, weakness. But Lord, in your power, you will thrust us out into this needy world. They need us, God. These people need us. Who will will tell if the, the feet don't take the good news? Lord Jesus, come and fill us and flood us, we pray. Come, Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.